Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Welcome everybody to the Magic Academy podcast. Delighted that Lee Dixon is uh, joining us. How are you doing, mate? You well? Yeah, very well, very well. Just settling in for half term, which is always nice. Yeah, so uh, yeah, tell everybody where you are, what's been going on. Uh, so I retired, what is it, two years ago? Well, a year ago, a year and a half ago now. So I've, and I've moved back up to coach and be a director of rugby at Barnard Castle School. So I've moved back up to my, to my roots. Yeah, and that's, uh, mate, that's pretty much what this is going to be. I'm going to call it the magic dick or roundabout. So this uh, almost full circle. I know you've got lots more to go and lots more to give, but uh, kind of when we first met and the rugby um, sort of started around the Barney stuff, and then you've had loads of adventures, loads of adventures, um, and you've ended up back. But, um, mate, what, what stuff have you noticed? that The last time you were at um, Barney Castle, you were probably being a bit of a rascal. To when you came back and you're now in this position on deck of rugby, what's the, what's the two or three things that you noticed straight away? I think there's been a big change of the amount of kids at school and the infrastructure of school. I think the schools definitely come on a lot. Um, I think the teachers that are in, you know, the infrastructure, we've now got a, you know, big gym, the buildings have changed, you know, we're, we're moving forward rather than, you know, back in the day, it was just one big building and, you know, we got around and it was great, great culture. But I think now the kids, the new headmaster that's come in, uh, Mr. Jackson, he's really come in and, change the culture of the school of how how things we go how we go about things and being more personalized towards the kids and the kids have a voice and you know just the ways that schools are going and, and he's changed the way a lot of teachers and a lot of kids look at our school now and we're, you know, we're still trying to get on the map you know Barney's still trying to get on the map as a as a school we're still trying to say we're out there because I think we're improving every year and we're we're, we're on the up yeah cool mate so three words to describe the current culture how would you describe it after school um, I think you know. I think it's definitely fun. Um, I enjoy it as a teacher, and I see a lot of kids walking around with smiles and faces. Um, tough. It's a tough. It's a tough culture in the way of you know, work and play. You know, it's you've got to. We're quite good on the academic side as well, but we also expect the kids to 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 work hard as well. You know, on and off the pitch. You know, especially from a rugby point of view. You know. We want them to work hard, but we also want them to work on other things, you know, drama and be in the choir. It's, it's okay to be in the choir and it's okay to play a musical instrument. And we don't want to pigeonhole people at the school. And I think that's probably a, 
big thing about the coach that he's installed is that, you know, you can try other things. You know, we don't want just a first team rugby player just to be rugby, rugby, rugby. We want him to go and explore different different avenues. And was that, um, I'm getting the sense that was different in your original, like when you were there as a pupil, did you feel as though, People were pigeonholed a bit. Maybe there was a little bit of them and us from a sort of teaching type of stuff. Is is that what you experienced? Or? Yeah, yeah. I think you know when I was a kid at school, it's a lot different because I can't remember when I was at school. But you know, I was fortunate enough to be part of of that rugby culture and the rugby way. And I don't think many of our lot probably were drama students or you know we had a lot of clever, a lot, a lot of clever lads like you know Matthew Tate. You know, a lot of clever people and intellectual people, and that's not. But I don't think people branched out towards different things as well. Um, and I think now we're seeing that change of culture where, you know, we've got splitting our first team now. We've got probably four or five that that do the play, uh, which is great to see. And it's great to see for younger kids coming through that their idols, say in the first team, are in the play and are in the choir and do play musical instruments because I think that's important. And one of my regrets was probably that I didn't play musical instrument when I was at school. Yeah, I mean, you did get it up to other stuff, which we'll, which we're going to come on to too now. But just before I do that, so tough would be a word that I would use for Barnard Castle. So when I was uh, involved in the academy, and we're going to talk about this in a second, and I used to come down a little bit. Uh, basically, you guys used just to kick lumps out of each other in every single session I was ever at. Uh, it was always almost full on. If it wasn't, it soon got to full on. Peps was often at the middle of it. Um, I mean, is is that still similar in terms of the like the like the rugby experience? Do you still want to sort of breed this this sort of type of person or this this player or this game? I think rugby's changed. I think Pepsi has changed over the years as well. I think he's adapted to to the way the the world of rugby's going. Um, I think that fundamentally, at the end of the day, rugby has got to be tough. You've got to be a tough player. You've got to be willing to put your head in places you don't want to put and. We still enjoy doing that contact side of it all when we were allowed to do it. Um, but we've also, I think we've also, as a school, adapted our game. Um, I think we are now being able to play in that amount of channels. And, but fundamentally, you can't play rugby if you don't have the ball. Um, so then close contact stuff that Mr Pepper's very good at, um, we still have that as part of our key things. Yeah, I mean, it's it's of no surprise to me. Obviously, he's, both both his lads are super rugby players. Uh, Guy Guy plays in the forwards, so would probably take a little bit more of Martin's um, characteristics on. And he's like, he's certainly super smart around the tackle stuff. I'm sure he gets lots of that from his the dark arts of his dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he's he's uh, he's one of the, so when I first obviously started coaching, which we'll pop onto. You know, he's one of them kids, and I don't say it very lightly. You know, when I watched him, he sort of, I was just like, wow. Because I'd never seen him play before. I'd never, I'd never really come back up and watched him. And, and when I first saw him, it, it was similar like man against boy sometimes. He's just, he's just a big specimen. And he, obviously, his dad's installed a tough, toughness about him. But off the pitch, you wouldn't know. You just wouldn't know that he was a tough rugby player because he's, he doesn't really talk about it. He keeps rugby separate, and that's what I love about him is the fact that he won't go. I don't know. I don't think many people will know at school that he's been selected to play for England. He just yeah, doesn't. He just, doesn't that's, that's... just doesn't want that. He just doesn't want that, and that's and that's a credit to Martin and and him as a kid that he just goes about his business quietly, which is awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I'm not surprised. You know, perhaps wouldn't be wanting to sort of be bang, banging on about stuff, and I'm sure he's no. uh, people at the school, and clearly, you, you know, he's you know his kids are going to want to pick some of that up. Yeah, and yeah, I think that humility stuff is important. You just get your head down, you get on with it. Things will come. I'm a great believer of like this law of attraction stuff. You keep working hard, you keep yeah. doing the right things, and and awesome stuff happens. Well, and talk about awesome stuff happening. Let's let's get into your story a little bit. So let's let's start this roundabout. We're just driving up to it. So you're at you're at Barnard Castle. I mean, what? Well, when did you start to think that rugby could be your thing? What sort of stuff was happening? It was pretty late to be fair, Fletch. I, you know, I've been at school for since I was 11, 12. I mean, didn't really start thinking rugby was for me till I was probably senior year. Um, I played rugby because I loved it. I liked I liked playing rugby. I was never involved in any under sixteen rugby. Never involved in any county rugby under sixteens, under seventeens. I sort of played a tiny bit of county, but that was about it. Still wasn't on the Falcons' radar. I didn't really even think about it. Eighteens um, came back, started captaining Barney School first year. Pretty much, Martin had picked me at scrum half. The rest of the time, I'd played at fullback. Um, and then I sort of just went from there, played in a, I remember it played in a Tyndale tournament. That was sort of our, usually our pre-season tournament that we used to play in. I think that was the first time you actually spoke to me um, and just asked, asked, where, <laughs> asked pretty much where I'd been. Um, and then I started playing county, did a bit of county north of England, then sadly didn't get picked for the 18s. Um, and pretty much from there, I was like, right, well, I'm going to join the Royal Marines because I'm from an army background. It was always what I wanted to do, you know, join the army or the Marines and I'd just play rugby through there. And it wasn't until late on that yourself and, and, and Walt's got in touch with me and sort of approached me and asked me if I wanted to come up and just just have a crack at it. And my mindset was, have a crack. If it doesn't, if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll join the Marines in a year's time. So that's sort of how rugby panned out for me. I, I, I used to love playing all sports. You know, it wasn't just rugby that that I wanted to do. And the beautiful thing about being at Barney, I got to play squash, I got to play cricket, got to do athletics, got to do hockey. And I think that helped me along the way that I just loved sport. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that, you know, that people talk a lot about, about this uh, opportunity to play in lots of uh, different sports and also in the different position. Interesting that you didn't get to come off till a little bit later. You were playing in, you know, mainly around fullback, but, and, and and fullback clearly affords you lots of things, isn't it? You can come in the game as and when you want. You get a lot of the transitionary turnover stuff. I mean, how important looking back do you think that was? I think at the time I probably didn't really even think about it because I never, I never ever thought I'd be a professional rugby player. So I, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't growing up. I want to play for England. I want to. It it just sort of happened, and you know we'll probably touch on it later on. It, it was just hard work and. I just played rugby because I loved it and fullback was great. That's the way I had to do. That's what Mr. Pepper picked me at for first team. I wanted to play for first team. And then we went on from there. My final year, get to play scrum off and, and, and go there. But looking back now and I look at it, you know, you see the whole game at fullback. You see the whole picture. You see where the gaps are. You see where the blind side is. So if you transfer me looking at fullback to me looking at nine, me glancing to the blind side now as a nine but when I was a 15 it was more the open pictures I could see it and I could go for it yeah mate that's a yeah I mean that's a great notion that's definitely for some some for people listening who are coaching young people across any sport look just give them some different 
just given some different opportunities. But even within those opportunities, maybe like if you think they're going to be a scorer, as an example, play them at fullback and or play them at first uh, receiver or maybe play them at number eight so they can have an appreciation around some stuff that's going, going to be helping. Like I was talking to a football coach the other day, uh, son, I think the son's going to be a right winger. Okay, maybe you should play him at left back. Why? Well, why do you think? Because <laughs> he's going to play against lots of left backs. So maybe you want to yeah. like, have that experience. So, no, mate, that's it. Uh, what do you think it was that I sort of saw in you, mate, when I first seen you? So I, I can remember it. I can remember, I can't remember that many things, and it's getting less and less as I get older, but I can remember it vividly. The, <laughs> the Tyndale Festival was great. We used to go and just have a bit of a look, and I didn't know anything about you, really, to be perfect. Mm. What was it you think that I sort of saw in your game? What sort of stuff do you think made me come up and say, hey, mate, where have you been? To be, to be brutally honest with you, I don't really know. Um, I think throughout my whole, you know, I know we'll push on to it, but my whole career, I've just bedded on hard work. Just energy, hard work, being really difficult to play against. I don't think my core skills at that age were very good at all. I think I would tackle anything that moved. I would put my head anywhere. I'd, I'd work for the team. I knew I had a job for the team, and that was just to run around and be that link between forwards and backs and I wasn't afraid to shout and tell people what I think of them and I think my work rate got me way further than my talent Yeah I mean that's a look and again from and I think we have spoken about it. I mean the stuff I'd, it was it was clearly effort so the stuff you look for in games is like like who's who's around to support the try scorer who's trying to make the tackle um, I, I didn't used to pay that much attention to the start of the game but like the end of the game I was really interested so who's still like working really hard so it was definitely that effort stuff but also the stuff I really really liked about it was just how like how competitive you were so I can remember you just getting so so mad when things didn't go well um, you weren't a great you know, you didn't appear to be the, like solving the problems other than just try harder get stuck in a little bit more and and definitely that toughness, that like that competitiveness led to the I'll do whatever it takes. So yeah, that's the stuff I definitely noticed. And it's a great shout out for for maybe people similar to yourself. Because it's actually not necessarily mm. about your your genetics or time on task and all that sort of stuff. And I used to get excited when people used to come through late. Because it's like often often they go on and do really well. Often they go on and do really well. Rich is clearly what then happened to you. Mate, what was your um what were your first impressions of the Falcons? Sort of what was the best stuff? What stuff looking back you think and ah uh, this it could have been like different. Oh God, it's it's one of it's a really hard thing to say about the Falcons because when we got up there we had such an unbelievable group um of people. And I think it was just the training, the way we trained and the amount of fun we had when we trained was unbelievable you know I can remember one of your quotes to the day of when we were warming up and you're like if you don't want to warm up that's fine just sit in the changing room it's all individual you know and I was just like what does he mean sit in the changing room is this a test is this if I sit in the changing room is he not going to pick me and I think it was just the fact that how much you put emphasis you put on us boys just to go out there and express ourselves it wasn't like you need to be this nine you need to do this is you went out and said be be yourself that's why you've been picked be yourself and we'll go from there. And that's the training side of it. I can't remember too much other than that we played a lot of conditioning games. And I remember just always wanting to win. <laughs> them, them, every game we played and I'd be annoyed if we didn't. 
Yeah, man, I can definitely remember one of that. I, I just used to be, I, I just used to want to be on your team. So like when Waltz would go, we used to join in occasionally because we were, we, we obviously weren't that good. But like I was always want to be on your team, <laughs> just because I knew we'd win. I, I knew we'd, I would have a much better chance of winning. So, no, I, I, I mean that's, um, yeah, and and the, I mean that warm up stuff. Just to sort of clarify, my, my point around the warm up is it is individual. Like it's about you being in a state and I know there's some physical stuff you have to do and there's probably some mental rehearsal type stuff, but it is individual. I'm I'm not necessarily massively about this this like like everybody has to do the same stuff. It's like what what rocks your board dick or come the kick off, you're ready to go mm. and you and as it is with other players. Right, uh, uh, there's some stuff that we were deliberate about and I'm just curious if it made any made any difference. So we were like we were really determined to play sevens. I mean, do you think that's what I was going to go on to? Do you think that was helpful? Do you think that helped you as yeah. a, in terms uh, of as a player? I think that was probably one of our my best years at Falcons. Um, I think that king was it the king of the borders. Yeah, maybe that we went up to borders kicking. Um, and that Mel, Melrose sevens, and you know, I can remember we played one tournament back to back. When we yes, were up there, we had a hell of a team, and, and and we won them. And I just, I actually think it. I had it before, but I had just that mental toughness that it installed into you to be able to to play a game, finish, rest, play a game. I remember sleeping outside. I think it was yours or Walter's car because I was so shattered from playing. And I remember you waking a few of us up, saying we're on, and we just got up and gone, and we went and won it. And it. It was just, I think, that period of time of the team we had and what we did and the old coming over the hill speech from yourself um, and Walt. And then the Melrose stuff as well. You know, we weren't, we weren't there to win it. No one thought we'd win it. You know, no one really wanted to play us. And the team we had, you know, I've still got that picture. You know, the DeHartys, the Sindays, you know, the Williamsons, you know, we, the Tates, we were just out there playing hard and playing what was in front of us. And it installed probably a lot of mental toughness into me, which I didn't know it did. Yeah, I mean, that's one one thing I loved about Sevens is it's tough. It's like you're going to some dark places from a physical point of view and there's loads of, there's just loads of drama. You, you, you like win yeah. or lose in a moment. You know, you can be three tries up and still lose, three tries down and still win. So, uh, and, and clearly the other point that we wanted to play was it just magnifies your skills. Because obviously, if things if you miss a tackle, it's probably a try. If you put a ball on the yeah. floor, it's you know it's it's quite a significant thing in seven. So no, I was just curious because we were really determined, and I'm I get a bit frustrated that um, development programs don't put as much emphasis on modified games on different types of experiences. Because I think it's important that I think you know genuinely in rugby they play too much fifteen aside. Personally, I think they should play over other formats because it's going to allow you to demonstrate other skills but uh, no I was, I was just curious to what sort of what sort of you know you know what what your experience was mate anybody so one person I do want to talk about because um and, and I don't influence what you're saying but so Blackie had a huge influence on me um and I've always assumed he had a positive influence on everybody else now I don't think that's necessarily the case but what, what would what sort of stuff did Blackie do around your development I loved I uh, uh... Yeah, he was great. Blackie, I'm, you know, Bob. You know, I've trained with Bob and Blackie for fortunate and it probably, it wasn't me being talented. It was, I knew Tatey and I'm honest with that. You know, Tatey was an unbelievable player um, and he came up to Newcastle and I pretty much followed him along the way and I was fortunate enough to have 
early morning sessions with um, Tatey and, and Johnny in the gym. And we literally just passed and passed and ran and ran and passed and passed for hours. You know, Blackie would fall asleep while we were doing it. <laughs> but we would carry on doing it and we'd have that drive to get up. And, you know, it, for a young 18, 19 year old, that probably shouldn't have been there. And it was only pure and simply of me wanting to be there, not being embarrassed that I was just following Tatey along because I lived with him and did it. That probably helped me along the way. And Blackie was great. You know, you wouldn't think he was a skillful, a skills coach, but he taught us such little subtle things that probably I teach now subconsciously. Just that catch pass, that repetition that helps, you know, all through my career, you know, I was up. 6.30 in the morning passing me Valen Dickens in, at Saints in the, above the concourse when it was wet. You know, when people aren't watching or you're not putting it on social media, it doesn't matter. Earn your craft in a way that you think it's earned. And mine was just pure hard work. If my people are tr tr no, sleeping, I'd be training. And that's how Johnny looked at it, I think. And that's how I took from it. And Blackie was in there as well. Yeah, and I guess that, look, that early experience of you and by the way, just uh, just to our people, we were clearly part of the Falcons, but Teddy had Teddy was in an elevated position very quickly. He was in the first team squad. Yeah. He was still he was still hanging out with the academy guys <laughs> because. And I'll be honest, Blackie would have coached anybody as long as they had drive and determination and were going to yeah, do what they were going to do. Um, and yeah, he, he would always come every, every well most days. You'd come in and he would talk about you and. You know the stuff that you were seeing, the stuff that that he liked, and obviously talk about the other guys as well. Just around that influence of Johnny, what sort of stuff did you take from him? It again, again, his work ethic was—I've never seen anything like it. You know, he would beat himself up and train so hard, and I would just try and follow. I, I remember doing a time the Tyndale run we used to do, and it was my ambition to try and beat him. And you know. Look back at it, he was probably what is he, 15, 10 years older than me? So, yeah, you know, and I was 65 kg wet through, and he was still beating me. And I was just like, and I'm, you know, I'd say I'm quite a long distance runner. And it, it just spurred me on. It was just seeing someone of his stature willing to come and train with someone like myself, Tatey, or whoever in the club. He would train with anybody, you know, it doesn't matter who you were. If you were there to help him or, or he would help you along the way, his work ethic and his drive and his skill set was second to none. And that's where I sort of got my work ethic from as well. I was, I worked hard and I've always have, but to go that extra level and play pro rugby and play for England, you have to have a, a schedule that you're willing to work to. And, you know, you can't be a nine to five or a nine to two type of person. If you want to be the best, you have to train. Yeah. And, and I mean, the point that you said, and, you know, I used to be aware of you doing little secret set. I mean, you used to do some stuff that wasn't that good for you. Like, you used to go for, like, runs when you got home after doing a seriously hard session because you thought it would give you an edge when some of that stuff wasn't there. But however, we used to let lots of it go. I remember talking to Blackie about him, and I was saying to Blackie, look, he might get hurt. He might, but Blackie would just go, it's just great fun. If he wants to do it, it's good for him. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, and it's a good shout-out for those people should, I mean my my saying is look everybody wants to go to heaven yet nobody wants to die I think if you want to go to heaven you've actually got to like you know you've got to like think about it type stuff there's some stuff that needs to happen so if you if you want to maximize your potential um and you would and there'd be a couple of others but you would be the player would share your story with other young players 
So I, I do think you're putting yourself down a bit around it. It was more than just hard work. So it was definitely more than I think, that. I think, I think I've always done that for my whole career, Fletch. You know, I've always, you know, and we'll probably go on to it. I've had so many downs and so many people to tell me it's not going to work out. Yeah. That sometimes I would, that would, I'd just go into the mode of just work. I've got to work harder. That would be my mode. I've got to work hard. I've got to prove people wrong. And I've, I've had to do it for my whole career, you know, and I'll touch on it now and say, all I needed was someone to believe in me. So throughout my whole career, I had Peps, for one, first and foremost. You know, he believed in me through school. You and Waltz believed in me and said I could be me, be you. And then, you know, to a, to a small land city, you know, Stuart Lancaster was there for me. He believed in me, gave me an opportunity at England I'll never forget. You know, and Jim Mallander, you know, 10 years at, at Northampton Saints. Not many people can say they stay at a club for 10 years. And he liked how I played. He liked the type of person... I played and I'll say it again I was skillful over time but to start with when you first saw me I couldn't pass with my left hand yeah I, you I, know I, and I was playing yeah. Mate, I would just want to just jump in there so I think your passing skill needed some work especially off your hmm. off your left hand which ironically became stronger <laughs> than your right hand that that when yeah. itself would tell a lot about you however you had some skill around knowing when the ball was and you had a very very good agility so your ability yeah. to avoid being tackled was like, it was, um, I mean, you were like Spider-Man, really. People couldn't get anywhere near you. Used to frustrate, Davey Wilson used to try and kill you in training. <laughs> would never touch you. So I don't think you were more skillful. It's more to skill than just being able to pass, I think. And, and you were yeah. a very good soccer player. So one mm. thing, um, and we used to play quite a lot of football, didn't we? We used to play a lot of like hybrid games. Yeah. We used a football lot because I would always be interested in how good people are on their eye-foot coordination. And although yeah. you probably didn't have some skills that have the box-kicky type stuff, you were a very, very talented soccer player. So it was always mm. going to come. It would have been quite you know, relatively straightforward for you-ish. But um, go on, mate. I, think I, I, have to, I, I have to say, going back to your point about the, the anaerobic running stuff, I still think that's in a lot of kids. A lot of kids think going for a five-mile run, like I did when I was a kid, they still think that as it's good fitness for rugby. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying and my learning from playing and co is when you do fitness do it for your sport so you know how many times do you just run for 5k in a rugby game it's not very often whereas so we're trying to ch change the mould and it's been really successful at Barney of changing the mould and the programmes we've set have all been rugby related so you, you know you, we were doing it when we were like Broncos you know just up and down type of things quick spurts you know get down off the floor tackle fitness because that's rugby at the end of the day. Yeah, you're not going to be a marathon runner. Yeah, again, back to Blackie, he used to say, look, long, slow runs make long, slow runners, Fletch. He would write yeah. ages ago, right? before I even met you, look, your rugby, so your training has to be specific to your sport. So, like, what does this come off to? That's how we should train. Mm. Like, way ahead of any yeah. We... Well, I went through a, a period of time as a coach where I was influenced by athletics and influenced by rugby league and influenced by lots and lots of stuff. So there was lots and lots of stuff coming out then. To be fair, Black has always been really consistent. Like, train it. It's a game. So, like, make it a game in training. Um, understand yeah. the metrics of the sport. Train, train at a higher in terms of the intensity and the pace and the metrics. So, hopefully what you found is our training was quite quick and it was quite challenging mm. and it was around scale and making decisions and finding out and solving it yourselves, really. Um, it was um, it was sub it was it was drilled into us subconsciously because at the same time we we're having a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, 
who doesn't like playing conditioning games? You know, and again, going back to your point about the sevens, it's sevens is such a hard game, and conditioning is because when you are absolutely shattered, can you catch and pass and put your winger away in that last minute or that last second? And that's where it you get to. It's when you are fatigued and nothing left in the tank. Can you go that extra mile? Can you just catch have that concentration level just to catch the ball and pass it 20 metres to score the winning try? And that's the hardest thing. And trying to teach yourself that, you can only do that by playing in these type of game situations when you're tired. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a game yeah, I've always believed in. And, and it's, it's, as, it's as old as anything, you know, sort of, you know, train tough, fight easy type stuff. I mean, I've just, to me, it's always made absolute sense. Your training should be harder. Um, you're more likely to then have some success around your actual gamey type stuff. And also, as young people are developing, just give them as many different experiences and try to, like, I mean, we did quite well. Or you, sorry, we, you guys did quite well. You used to win, like, most of the games. But we used to always be trying to deliberately, like, make it a bit tougher for you. Or we were, like, super excited when things didn't go well because, yeah. because we were, you know, we were, yeah, we were pretty chilled around that. And again, some shout out for yeah, youth sport. I do think it's like it's still too focused around the results in terms of the goals. And um, I do think you need a better blend and balance around kids having different experiences. So, but anyway, mate, in, in terms of Northampton, what, uh, what were the highlights to talk me through some of the highlights? Because you obviously, how many games did 250 odd you played there, didn't you? 256. Oh, I'm not not that you were counting, but that's I mean that's an <laughs> well. To be to be fair, I was I, you know how many you've got, but shout you know shout out to Ed Williamson. He did me a picture, and it had all my caps from all the teams I've played on. Um, oh, Mary class, cool. Yeah, so you know, the caps wise, uh, Ed Williamson did me a piece uh, painting last year for Christmas. My wife surprised me. Lovely picture of me playing for Saints in England, and then he's put on the side. Of it, all the club badges I've played for, with the amount of caps I've played, so you know, phenomenal artist and an even better bloke. Yeah, he's a good bloke. He's uh, he made you wouldn't have said that if you had to coach him because oh. he was one of the he was one of the biggest handfuls that we've ever coached. Ed Williamson, the hand, the hand, the hand grenade, the hand, the hand grenade. Oh man, he was like, uh, he's a great lad and a and a and an outstanding player, and unfortunately ravaged a bit by injuries and maybe a little bit of bad luck and stuff. But um, yeah, great guy. But um, yeah, he was hard work. As to be fair, as all open side should be, I always think yeah, like, yeah. you know, the open side is uh, definitely like often the odd person in the in the gang and stuff. Uh, go on, mate. And any any highlights? Any other highlights from from you know Phantom Days? Had some amazing times there. I think the whole time was was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I think we left left Newcastle under a bit of a cloud, um, and was just very fortunate that my under twenty ones coach was down there, and you know, just things took off. Because they were coming up from the championship, and they were looking for different people. You know, I went down there as pretty much second choice scrum half behind a Ben Foden wanting to play uh, scrum half, so. The first battle straight away was to try and get that shirt, um, which I love. I love a good battle. Uh, you know, Ben's one of my best of friends. You know, he's a great guy. But after about a year, he realised that he could play fullback now rather than the nine, and he went on to have a very successful career. But I think at Saints, I think the general good times with the group of people we had. So 
I think what Jim Mallinder and Dorian West and people like that did, they kept a group together from us being 22 up to 30 of, you know, the group that the core group that they kept together at that club was phenomenal. And yeah, we, we lost a lot of finals along the way, but we learned so much among that. And then on that 2014 year where we won the cup, European cup and the premiership was probably the standout year for me that everything just seemed to click and come together and you're doing it with your best mates and people you've known for 10 years or well, eight or nine years or so. And we went along the way, we had some bumps, we had some great times, you know, we won a few, a few trophies along the way, but that 2014 was probably my favorite year. We just, we just didn't think we could be beaten. Um, and, and, we I just mean, had that did, belief. And where did that belief come from then? Was that, did you do some stuff off the pitch around it? Was it just, did it kind of just happen over a period of time? Did it come from the coaches? What was it? I think it came from the coaches. It came from the, the leadership group. You know, I think we had a culture where it wasn't a blame culture anymore. It would be, you know, you're going to tell someone what you think of them, take it and let's carry on because we're a team. So we didn't have that little group over here, little group over there, little group over there. We were all together as a group. It wasn't, seg you know, you say clubs are always together, but over my time at Saints, there was times where it was a little bit divided. So what but, was it? I mean, so what, I mean what, if you could put your finger on one or two things, and, and clearly winning helps. So if you get on a bit of a roll, it's easier. But what was it? Was anything, did you go away? Did you, did you put some stuff on the wall? Did somebody give a Chilean speech? What was it? I think Phil Dowson, Phil Dowson and um, Dylan Hartley were a big influence in that team at the time. Um, I think the, t the year before that, we lost like nine on the bounce. We were, we were, everyone was saying they're rubbish, they're finished with they're this, this and this. And I think it was Dowson played a few um, videos to us and it was the 30 for 30 stuff. And there was a quote that came out of Why Not Us. I think it was a team. I can't remember. It might have been a baseball team. Um, and we hung our hats on that slogan, why not us? Why can't it be us? Why can't it be, you know, we failed a few times, but why can't it be us? So that slogan went around the room. It went around on different things. We used to take it away with us and put it in our change rooms away, away from home. And, you know, sadly, we lost to Leicester in that final. We lost to Leicester in that final. And they deserved to win. But again, we grew as a team. We didn't then go, right, we'll clear out a load of people. We'll get a load of new people in. But Jim and... Um, Dorian West is we just added a little bit we tweaked we brought a few people in you know you, you can't fotter elites you know he came in and added a massive amount to me and the team um, you know Alex King came in as a backs coach again he he came in with different ideas and different focuses Alan Dickens was there as, as defence coach he came in with different ideas and we just built and we had an honest environment which I think goes a long way you know instead of we've lost, oh, you know, it'd be okay, we'll cover up that crack. It was, we've lost, this is why we've done it. We need to assess it, move on quickly, no bitching, and get on with it. And I think we did that over a space of two or three years of building that culture and having, you know, your Dylan Hartley at the forefront, you know, the bloke is just phenomenal as a leader. He, he can punch you in the face in training and afterwards you can go over and he'll come over and shake your hand, shake your hand and, tell you why and you respect him for it I don't know many people that can whack somebody and then afterwards you can respect him even more for um, and it's the same with Dallas Dallas was a great leader and he 
he was big on the off-field stuff as well, Dows. He'd lead from the front, but he was an unbelievable talker and an unbelievable way of getting culture sorted out and getting the academy kids and the young kids with the old kids and connecting all the dots. So I think that was probably what it was to do with. It was just all connecting the dots from academy to, to seniors that were one team and we had one thing that we wanted to and that was win premierships. Yeah, I think it's similar to the Exodus story really over a period of time, quite a long period of time for Exodus. But yeah. We've got lots of stuff. They've had some experiences and clearly within this experience and stuff, some stuff's got to go wrong for in order for it to be right. Um, I mean, always the challenge is, and I guess it was a tough challenge for Northampton, is, is that sustainability. Because once you're up the top, yeah. it's a different mindset because every you're now going to target on your back. And it'd be interesting to see how Exeter actually deal with this. Um, but yeah, I think they did what you guys did, just to add and build and use the experience and move on and just make some minor tweaks rather than like, too often in sport, it's radical, isn't it? Like get rid of... yeah everything and it's like well what <laughs> there must be some really good stuff going on so no I mean, the thing is what I think is when you get to, when you get to a final you don't you don't lose it and become a bad team you got to that final for a reason you know I look back to probably one of the worst times with Saints is losing that Heineken Cup final that we lost um, you know we went unbeaten through the whole tournament no one really knew much about us you know we we pretty much took apart took apart a decent Perpignan team in the quarters you know we had a real tough battle with Ulster but beat them and they were on to winning then you know you play Leinster and you're 24-3 up at half time you know you're so flying what but that... what's, the, what's your take on it what's your take on being that, that many up and then going on to lose it I, you know there'll probably be some stories I don't know what people have said about it I've never I've never really listened too much but you know that first half we played I don't think we could have played any better in that first half um, but the, you'd expect the changing room at half time would have been buzzing. We'd have been absolutely buzzing. It was probably the most somber, quiet, dull changing room I've ever been into in my life. So Dylan had just got knocked out before half term time. Yeah. So he was all he was away with the fairies. And again, we were just shattered. To be real, we were absolutely we were at last legs shattered, running on empty, just season of things of just playing week in week out of rugby you know back then it wasn't like a rotation policy it wasn't like what Sarri's have and what Exeter where they're dobbling and dobbling it was you're starting 15s you're starting 15 we're playing every game we're doing which I loved god I just wanted to play rugby I always had a remit of if I wasn't playing someone might take my spot so I wanted to play every game and I just look back at it and think and it's not an excuse for losing you know Leinster deserved to win but after that game, we found out that probably four or five of us had operations that we didn't really know we had. We were just on last legs and we put that half together. And, you know, if that first 20 minutes might have gone a different way, we might have won it. We might have hung on. But fair play to Leinster and the way they went about that second half. You know, it was like we were chasing shadows in that second half. And yeah, they definitely changed. Sexton, they changed the way they played. And I don't think they expected us to do what we did to them in the first half. And then, God, I didn't expect them to score 30 odd points in the second half. But then again, after that, that was a big learning for me. I, I watched the whole parade. I watched them win it and my whole family were there. And, God, I was devastated. But I watched and just thought, I want to be there. Because I've not really won much in my career at all, really. And I just wanted to be part of that and saw them. And instead of going in and sulking, I just watched. I just stood there and watched and watched, watched them do the champagne. And it just drove me on to try and 
go one better. Mate, I'm surprised you haven't. You're not wearing your Langham Sevens um, uh, medallion, <laughs> mate. <laughs> um, That's I mean. Uh, they're, they're... The frame and shop, some stuff at the moment. <laughs> Say again, sorry, I just missed that. I said it's at the frame and shop. Now I've finished, I can get all my stuff framed. <laughs> They're all there, my little medals, you know, my, my Melrose Sevens and, you know, the Hoik, the Hoik Sevens. I remember the Hoik ones, mate. The, the Hoik ones was one of my favorite. Um, so, in terms of the, like, what was it like sort of transitioning the captain and also the shared role you used to play it so later on you were, it was like it was very much around a rotation which I thought you would have hated but actually when I spoke to you you weren't as you weren't as down on it as I thought you might be what what, what were your thoughts around both of those things so with the can't the can't thing um you know when he came in <laughs> when he came in I was fuming you know and he knows that and I've had, I'm I love Khan to bits. I saw it as uh, I'm not good enough anymore. They don't think I'm good enough anymore. Because Khan was probably the best scrum half in the world at that time. He was phenomenal. And I sat down with Jim and and, and uh, Kingy. And I sat down and Jim knew I wouldn't like it. Because he knows the type of person I am. And I wanted to play every time, as I said before. I knew if I didn't play, if someone had a worldie, I'd have to sit on the bench. And I, I just hate, I'd hate, I always wanted to play. And I didn't want to give anyone an opportunity to play. And, you know, probably wasn't the best at, in my early careers at being friends with other scrum offs. Mate, you were um, terrible. You never ever spoke to scrum offs. You, I don't care. And I used to say, mate, you've got it. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. It's like you were a nightmare as a young player around that. However, I did, I also thought it was a strength of yours. The fact that you just didn't give us, you didn't appear to give a monkeys what people thought of you. You would like. No. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think it. Hey, go on then. Tell the story how you so, and, I, and, I, and I think it was just a maturity thing more than anything, Fletch. And I think a body thing as well. I think I had a few injuries, the wear and tear. And I, I think I just matured as a person. And I think when Khan came in, he actually helped me more than I could ever have dreamed of. He actually brought the best out of me. And he subconsciously, he helped my game come on. And one of the many reasons I'd, I played for England was because of Khan as well. Why um, what sort of stuff was happening? Just, you know, everyone knows my, my point of difference was my fitness and my passing. I didn't really have a running game at all. My job was to get the ball into Myla's hands quicker than anyone else and keep the tempo of the game going so we would win by outworking people and screaming and shouting and organising football. That was my game. That was my point of difference. And I didn't really change my way at all until Khan came in. Khan came in and showed me a different way to play scrum half that I didn't ever allow anyone else to tell me because I just didn't want to talk to them. I didn't really, this was how I was going to do it. And funny enough, Khan coming in that year, I played for England and he just sort of taught me and I watched how he played because obviously if you've got a competitor, I will watch how they play just his things around the breakdown and, you know, his Samoan flair that he had. And he was such a nice bloke. I couldn't not like him. <laughs> it was one of the things I just couldn't like him. I couldn't not like him. So, you know, I would go out for a drink with him. I'd go for dinner with him. And I just found myself just relaxing so much more. And it probably brought the best out of me on my pitch because I would say for the first 10 games, I was playing the best rugby I've ever played in my career. And he would be right next to me saying to press or whoever, this Lee Dixon is amazing. 
you know, he helped me develop my game and open my eyes up to a lot more things that I, I probably regret not allowing other people to do because I had that selfish nature of I don't care, I'm just going to be me. So that helped me. And that rotation policy, it wasn't like we knew when we were playing, so we would have two games start, two game bench. And we would play 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes. And you'd know when you're going on. And it wasn't like if Khan was having a will be, they would still pull him off. Or if I was playing unbelievably well, they'd still bring us off. And I felt so fresh. So like going into the back end of the thing, I was still raring to go. And my, I was fresh. My mind was fresh. I'd played for England. And it was just opened my eyes up. And I think maturity helped me as well that, if I want to last in this world, you need to take care of your body and understand that you can't play every minute of every game. Well, well, well done, mate. Well done. I'm, I, was, <laughs> I was super proud of you. I was thinking when it was happening, oh, mate, that must be a nightmare for Khan because, like, Dick was going to be pulling his eyes out. So, um, could, but, 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 yeah, I think lots of players eventually need to get into that place around... And, and I do think, I generally think the rotation is... Um, the super smart coaches are... Alex Ferguson talks a lot about it, promising people and delivering and you know, building trust around giving people all, all opportunities. I mean, clearly when you get it, you've got to stay in the team and you've got to earn the right to be on the bench or to start the next time as well. Um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting mate. And what about captain? Because certainly as a young fella, certainly the organising bit and the bossing and the shouting and information and telling and, and all that sort of stuff would, would have, but yeah, I mean, what sort of, why do you think you were made captain and what sort of stuff did you bring to the team? It's a tough one, this one. I don't, I don't, I personally, you know, I captained a little bit at Falcons, a tiny bit. I never saw myself as a leader leader. I was a leader on the pitch because that's the nature I had. And, you know, when Jim asked me to be captain, I just, I'd just been dropped from the World Club squad. So I was in a very vulnerable place. Uh, but also, again, my mindset setting is, I need to prove someone wrong. I want to I wanna be the best. I still want to play for England. And Dylan obviously was going through a tough patch, you know, just been banned again. And, and he'd been captain at the club for eight years. And so they made me captain. I was over the moon and, you know, it was a huge privilege. And I thought I would be... I thought I was the right man for it, but looking back, I definitely wasn't the right man for it. Um, I wish, I don't think I'd ever would have said no, but if I had my time again, I probably might have said, look, Jim, thank you much for the offer, but I just want to be a player. I think I subconsciously lead better not being a captain. Um, it took so much more away from me of my game than I realised, because I was worrying about other things. So, Charles, um, what's the off-field stuff, just, am I doing a good job? Are the, do the lads believe in me? It just wasn't a good time in my career. Um, and I think fundamentally that affected me a lot more because after I was made captain, I had two more years left on my contract. And after that, I just fell apart a bit. Fell out a little over rugby. And I think that had a, a an effect on that, on the way I did stuff and... You know, we didn't have a very successful year and that's all down to me. That's what, in my head, I felt that was all down to me. Why we weren't winning? Because of me. And it came down to, and Dylan was great. He was unbelievable with me. First person I saw as I came out of Jim's office, Dylan shook my hand, 
Dicko, I'm here for you 100%. If you need anything, you know, told me exactly what it'd be like. But in my, I think subconsciously, in my head, and in every other player's head, that club is Dylan Hartley's club. I knew that, hand on heart, Dylan Hartley's club. Because he led so well, he has that leadership ability that he has and can sort of put stuff away that I probably couldn't have put away in my head. I worry too much. Where I think Dylan was a stronger character as a captain. And he's gone on and, you know, captained England and been very successful with that. And it's the captaincy side I love. I probably think I could be a captain, but when it came to it, it probably took a lot of things away from my game. I'm a leader that will shout at forwards and lead on the pitch. I don't think I'm a very, this is just my opinion, a very good leader off the pitch. I worried too much and I wasn't assured of myself too much. Yeah, I think uh, my sense would be, yeah, I understand you're saying that worrying stuff. You probably need some support around the senior leadership team. I don't know if you got that or not. Just on that, and, and then I want to park it. If you could go back and you were now made captain at the same time, what would be the one thing you would change? What stuff would you have like done like, differently that wouldn't have had the biggest impact? I probably wouldn't have tried to worry as much. I probably would have kept, not probably put all my stuff, talked more probably to other people. So talked more to Dylan, talked more to Tom Wood, talked more, you know, to that leadership group rather than trying to put it all on myself. And I don't know how you can take it away from yourself of, you know, I love playing rugby, but that added role just sort of affected me. I don't know how, I don't know why. I don't know why it did, because I had captained Saints probably 10, 20 times before that, but not, I wasn't officially the captain. And I was fine, because I, I pretty much saw it as, I'm just captaining, filling, you know, I'll lead on the pitch as I always do. Myler's there, they'll take the kicks, he'll tell me if we're kicking to goal or not. But I don't know how I would change subconsciously letting it affect me. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that'd be part of your pers personality. It's a, it's obviously, yeah. it's obviously a great strength of yours. You know, this sort of like, am I good enough type stuff, and it's it's clearly pushed you on, and and this sort of worrying type nature. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can understand you saying that. And look, not not everybody thrives as a captain. Some people actually, it it actually makes them as a player. So it's it's the best yeah. as a player would be their captaincy. Other players who are great players, it actually take takes away. So that. Look, all of that makes absolutely sense. Mate, so I just want to then talk about sort of the end of the career transition into the championship. What was the purpose of like still playing? Because you talk a little bit there about falling out in love with it. So why would you still play? What was the reason? Just because I didn't really have a fallback. Um, when I finished Saints, I always wanted to be, I always wanted to get back into coaching. I wanted to work in a school, but as the director of rugby, that's always sort of what I wanted to do, pure and simply because, you know, the role model of us, Martin Pepper was always big on me. Um, so when I fell out of love of rug with rugby at Saints, it was a final year at rugby, I just wasn't in a good place at all with my rugby. Um, I started speaking to Martin a lot, lot more. And I spoke to him throughout my whole career. He, he would, we'd always call and chat. And I spoke to him a lot more about that, working at school. And he advised me and said, well, why don't you? look at getting into schools why you can still play so go and get some experience in a school because if I was playing at Saints my head I couldn't go and work somewhere else because I was fully engaged in rugby I couldn't have something else I had to be 
the mindset I had, I had to be fully engaged in what I was doing, which is probably again a maturity thing that you probably I could have. Um, so he advised me to, you know, play somewhere else and do some work experience. So I went down to Bedford, met there, and said, you know, I still want to play rugby. I, I, I want to get the love of the game back, but I also want to be put into a school where. I can actually see if I'm any good at coaching or if I actually enjoy coaching kids because just because you play rugby at a high level doesn't mean you're, you're going to be a good coach. Um, so I wanted to see if I could teach seven-year-olds or eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 15-year-olds. And so for two years, I found the love of rugby because Bedford was an unbelievable club. You know, it, it was back to the old school of rugby of why you play rugby, mates, having a beer afterwards, the enjoyment factor, but well, I they also rugby, don't they? I mean they do chuck the ball around oh, like they exactly and it suited how I played. I love playing quick rugby, high tempo game. It wasn't structured. We didn't really have structure. I don't think I kicked the ball for about six games, which is great for me because I just want to play. But then on the side of it, I was working two days a week at Bedford Modern School, coaching and getting a feel for how a school would work. So the that transition worked and it was actually, I was actually going to play for another two years. I was actually going to, I was just about to re-sign at Bedford for another two years uh, and carry on my work experience. And then Martin out the blue rings me and says, look, this, this could be happening. Would you be interested in it? Where are you? And I said, well, I'm definitely interested, but just so you know, Bedford have offered me another two years and this and that. So I went and spoke to Mike, Mike Rea and he was great. I said, look, I've had this opportunity. I'm undecided of what I want to do. I need a couple of weeks just to think about my headspace and he just said look Dicko you go away have a think completely understand that this could be the next 15 years of your life so he was great Bedford were great they pretty much helped me out of a a time where I was in a pretty bad place with rugby and they pretty much put me back into my lively self yeah and my, yeah they've got, I've seen you a couple of times down to Bedford do some coaching and stuff and you were definitely back to I mean, you were buzzing around, flying. I mean, what, yeah. what have you found out about yourself as a coach? What sort of, what, what do you think people would say about you as a coach? <laughs> I think I'm energetic um, still. So I still bounce around. I wish I could train with them. Um, I think I communicate well. I think one of my big things of coaching is my communicating well and just just having that infusion in, in training and having fun and not allowing things to get you down. And I think it's been a big learning curve. I think one of the biggest learning curves I've done is these kids aren't me. I can't think that everyone has the same mindset and work rate that I have, that I have to start treating everyone different, not everyone differently, but different people react to different things. You know, different people are laid back, but come match day, they're awesome. You know, some people are absolutely terrible at training, but get them on the pitch of class. And it's that adapting to start with especially when I was at Bedford Modern not so much when I got up to Barney and I was just like we just don't look interested why, why does it not look interested why do you not try hard and I'd get myself worked up about it of like is that because I'm not I'm not getting him going enough but then it was just that realisation that I can't treat these kids like they're me I have to treat them for who they are some of them might just are playing rugby just for the fun just want to play first team rugby go to university play rugby do it for the crack you know, and as long as I can get these kids out of school and they're going on and playing first team, second team, third team, fourth team, fifth team at a university, I've done my job because I've installed that rugby is the way forward. That's yeah, how I see it now. Yeah, it is. It's still my it's still my Achilles heel. 
So, like, I, I, I really find it tough for kids that don't try. I can take anything other than, like, effort. Uh, so, it's like, you know, uh, however, I have some strategies. I do kind of nip myself a bit. Um, and I've got some strategies. And clearly, just the obvious one, just check in with the kid. Like, what would make this an awesome session for, for you? You know, how, how can I make this a better experience? And just really trying to understand their why. You know, why are they here? And, yeah, it's a good old, it's a good old shout out. Right. I mean, what's a, what, what sort of mistakes have you made as a coach? What's the, what's the stuff that you want to share? I'm still young in my coaching career at the moment. Um, I'm still learning. and I don't, think, I don't think as a coach you can ever be the finished article. I think probably the understanding of coaching to start with was probably, I was probably a bit ignorant to it. Um, I just thought, you know, I've done my coaches' courses. You just put a few cones down. Yeah. And blow the whistle. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think, you know, I've done what I've done in my rugby career. I've done my, I've done my coaching course. You know, I should just be able to jump in, but you know, you're ignorant to 45, 12 year old kids screaming around. You know, you you've got to have structure. There's got to be a structure in it, and there's got to be a purpose to to training and a, not a philosophy so much. But you know, if I was going to say what my coaching philosophy was, it would be we play at speed and we play an expansive game of rugby. But at the cornerstone of it is that we're hard nosed we win the collision and we earn the right to go wide. That would be how I would coach now rather than let's just throw the ball around and be really frantic. Maybe I did a little bit of that when I started. It was just all throw it around, throw it around, throw it around, throw it around. Probably trying to be me too much, 100 miles an hour rather than probably breaking things down a bit more for them lower aged kids that need a little bit more guidance. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I like it. There's a couple of things I'd, at the later date um, we may have some conversations about. Because, um, I mean, I definitely hear this, earn the right to go right. I mean, you do know you can go wide straight away, don't you? Because it might yeah. afford you some, some like options on the way back. But I get what you mean, Matt. And, and, I'm, yeah. and um, so I, I've actually observed you coaching a few times. So my kids have played in some little festivals that you've sort of ran and stuff. And I am absolutely super impressed how chilled you are. So high levels of enthusiasm, but like super chilled. Because um, I thought that you would be like like pretty ratchy with like some kids who were maybe on trying hard. I've actually found you yeah. chilled. But maybe there's stuff going on inside that I'm not seeing. I mean, is that the case? Is there stuff like eating away at you and outwardly? Oh, of, course, away? of course it does. You know, and I think I actually think having children of my own has helped me massively. Um, In what way? Joshy and just they've chilled me out a bit. And I love, one of my favourite days in the world is a Sunday. I go to Darlington Mountain Park now um, and I watch the kids and I'm a dad. And I just watch and see how much fun they have. And, you know, the, the coaches, the volunteers, and they're great. They just, they install so much fun into the kids. And my boys love playing rugby. And it chilled me out a bit that you don't have to be intense. So, yeah, inside sometimes when things go wrong in games, as you said, I've been chilled out. Inside, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm, I'm fuming. Uh, what, how has he missed that five-on-one and what's he doing? But at the end of the day, they're 14-year-old kids. They're not going to get anyone out of me screaming at them, saying, why have you done that? Why have you done that? They're not going to get, rather than me going up to Master and saying, look, boys, have a look at this. What, what do you think? We've probably missed a five-on-one there. We're going to be probably looking at that this week, about just that catch-pass ability. And, and I think how I've look at my coaching is a lot on how coaches and the experiences I've had of how people have talked to me and how people have done things with me. You know, I loved 
and this is the type of person I was, I couldn't care less if someone screamed and shouted at me and told me how it was. That I'd love that. I wouldn't like someone to come up and put an arm around me and be like, oh, Dicko, it's okay. Wasn't the type of player I was. I needed someone to tell me if I was doing something wrong, scream at me, tell me, and then I'd try and make it better for you. Because fundamentally, this coach has believed in me. So he can say what he wants to me and I will try my hardest for him. Yeah, and no, I definitely got that sense early that, look, just stop being around the bush. Just give it to me. Straight. Yeah. Um, and I'm you know, interested enough that comes from a belief place. So you, you would have to trust them that they believe in you and they want you to do well and they've got good intentions. But like, uh, however, there'd, there'd be a number of players and I, could, I would probably say it's more the other way. And more the other way, players don't like that. They would want something yeah. different. They would still, they would want that information, but in a different way. So you wouldn't get very far screaming and shouting in Matthew Tate. Um, as an example, no. good values. Um, yeah, um, but yeah, no, mate, I definitely get all of that. So, in terms of um, if you could, one thing you could you've learned out of coaching that would have been more like really useful for you as a player. So, when you're flying around doing your best, is there anything you've learned as a coach that if you could take into your playing career would have been would have been even well would have been more well would have been helpful for you. I don't, don't know, actually. Um, I think probably at an earlier age, not to be 100 miles an hour. Um, you know me, as you said, to start with, I was 100 miles an hour no matter what I did. I didn't stop to take a breath and realise what I was doing and what I was achieving. And what, you know, if you did a drill for me, for example, or Mr Pepper did a drill for me, I would just do it. I wouldn't think of why we're doing it. I wouldn't understand if we were doing a catch pass drill, I'd just do it hundred miles an hour and try and get as many touches as I could rather than I never really took an understanding of why we're doing it to start with. Whereas now when I'm coaching and I'm saying to the kids, we're doing this for a reason because of this, this and this in the game. These are the fundamentals of rugby. Look how New Zealand do it. Their backs move is catch, pass, catch, pass, catch, pass, winger gets it. It's not rocket science. Whereas when I was young and, playing I just wanted to do everything at 100 miles an hour I didn't think about anything other than just running around so I think I'd have slowed myself down a little bit more and I think I learned again as a maturity and then pretty much good years I had as a professional rugby player I sort of slowed my mind down and my body down but not my energy down if you know what I mean yeah mate, yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it mine would be around learning Mine would be around, I wish I knew as a player, obviously hundreds of years ago, a little bit more around learning because I would have challenged the coach more. So when I was doing some stuff back in the day, mate, I would have like, if I knew some more stuff, I would have said, why are we doing this? Because I don't think I'm going to get any better. Or actually, yeah. I'm, I'm probably like, well, I'm, I'm probably going to regress a little bit with this type of training, that type of stuff. So that's the one thing I always, and I'm always mindful now, and I probably didn't, well, I, I didn't do it that well, during my early part of my coaching career but I'm always mindful now to explain the why and trying to connect with players and trying to give them an understanding around learning so like this is why I'm designing the sessions the, the, the design yeah. of the session is for this type of stuff so I, I'd want people to know about it so they could own it and more importantly they could challenge me so they could come to me as a coach and go I don't think this is a good use of our time so we've just done this thing. I don't think it's going to make me or us better at that yeah. time. Yeah, that would be my sort of stuff. Mate, we, we haven't touched on it, but um, just on the England stuff, I mean, how did you feel when you first got called up? 
Oh, a relief. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I felt in my mind the three, two years leading up to my call-up, I could have played. Um, I was starting for Northampton. We were playing well. We were winning stuff. A lot of people were talking about me playing, but obviously just didn't fit into the coach's mould at all. And that well, was what do you think it was, mate? What was the stuff Hill? that was preventing you? I don't know. I, a lot, I don't know. I didn't even have... The thing is that back then, I didn't even get a conversation. I wasn't even in the running. I did the Saxons. So that's how I formed a relationship with Fletch, uh, Fletch with um, Lanny and uh, Faz. Um, so I did, I did two Saxons tours. Um, and one of them Saxons tours, I didn't even get on. I got called up late um, to it because Hodgson called up to the senior squad and then I jumped into the sack so I got called up the day before we left and then it took me three days of training to get the starting job over there um, and that again is just put me in an environment where it's training you know and Andy Farrell even said to me you know he didn't really hadn't really didn't know me he didn't know me he didn't see anything about me and then when he got into when I got into that environment he was just like right okay I get it I get why people like him um, Mate, I say that so all the time. Uh, just sorry, just in, in all your thoughts. So, um, the, the few well, I suppose Eddie a reasonable amount, and I just, I used to, I, I, and Stuart, I used to play with him. Just get him to your training, and then make a decision. Like, don't look through the eyes of a like, a, like from the stand. Get him in, get him in, and then, and then it's up to him, and it's up to you. But like, yeah. you've got to have a, you've got to have to coach these players because especially somebody like you who was around that what you bring to the team, you sometimes you just don't see it. You don't see yeah. it from the stand. You would have to coach it. And I can remember Lanny actually speaking to me about him when, uh, Fletch, you spoke a lot about this man in terms of his character. And obviously, <laughs> Lanny would know you well, but he said, I had yeah. no idea he was like this. Um, I can remember him. It wasn't necessarily the exact words, but it was that sort of intent. Go on, mate. Sorry. Andrew. Yeah. No, no. So, so, you know, and that was, it was a tough, pill to, to swallow because I thought I could play but I absolutely love the Saxons and it was it was probably the making of me as well because them environments and tours you went on were, were were brilliant and I got called up to one senior squad and had a little taste of it and then came out and then had a year where I had a load of injuries you know I did my shoulder twice broke my jaw so I had a lot of reflection time over that time and came back with still a hunger to play and then that was when Khan came. So then Khan came and we had them seven weeks and then Stuart obviously got the job. It was after the World Cup. He got the job and I played these games and I was probably playing the best rugby I've ever played and then um, he rang me. He rang me and just, I think I was, I actually think he said to me, you're the first person I've called and the reason is because I knew how much this would mean to you. Um, and I, re I remember I was sat in, sat in my bedroom upstairs and he said, oh, Andy Farrell's going to call you as well and have a chat with you, but I just wanted to let you know that um, you're going to be coming into this environment, you deserve it. You know, at the time, it was Ben Young's, Danny Kerr and me, but then obviously things happened with Danny Kerr over the lead up to to the training camp and sadly he didn't, he didn't come into the camp. So I don't really know if I'd have actually played or would it have been me getting involved, but I knew if I'd got into that environment, I was going to be playing because that's the type of character I was. And got there and absolutely loved the environment. It, it was phenomenal. And, and again, Stuart sat me down and said, look, this is your, 
you'll be playing. You'll be playing a part of the Six Nations this year. And straight away, I just calmed down because he said to me and, and spoke to me. And, and then I just went and trained and absolutely loved it. And it was a relief more than anything that I'd got there. You know, I was 26. It, it was a bit late. You know, you look at the kids now at 19, 20, 21, 22. I was 26 when I got there. And there was times where I thought, maybe I won't. But I had that network that people were driving me and saying, keep going keep going you will make it just keep being you and then that environment opened my eyes up a lot more as well just that I wasn't a complete player and I needed to work on things and going back to your point of getting in the environment you know when you play at a club you play at an environment and you play as a coach wants you to play so Saints had a way of playing I played I fitted into that mould so they don't select you on different things because you play like that. That's how I was always with me. But they get me in the environment and I will adapt and do things. And Stuart gave me that opportunity and, you know, he will always be part of the fact that he gave me an opportunity and where others didn't and he will always be a part of my rugby career, really. Yeah, mate, that's cool. And he's, he speaks really fondly around you. Um, yeah, and it's, and it's not just your character. Um, however, your character is a big, big, big part of that. And if, course you can play. I mean, you're a, you're a fantastic yeah. And mate, if somebody said to me, I timed her when you were 18, do you know the skinny little lad who shouts a lot, who's charging around a bit? He's going to play <laughs> I would have like went, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but look, I mean, awesome. it, 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 yeah, it, it's, it's part of my, like, you know, that I played there four years. It's part of, like, it's one of these things that you never think you've done it. And still to the day, I'm like, God, I did do it. And it's, now I can reflect more. It's, you know, it's an incredible thing. I probably didn't, when you're in it, you don't think about it as much. Yeah. So you just, you camp, you're there, you're playing, you're, people are like, oh, I'm only playing for England. You're like, yeah, yeah, but you just, you're just in it. And going back to the, the Lanny thing and things like that, you know, we did an exercise, and Lanny was good at these, you know, we did these exercises where we'd do a bit of peer-on-peer -peer stuff. So one of his exercises was, you know, we each got a player and we had to talk about this player in, in the change room. Uh, and he tried to keep it a little bit in club because you know about each other. And Dylan got me and um, you sit in the change room at Twickenham before a test match, you know, I think it was the Friday, so it was a team run. And, and we, it was to grade people on talent and um, effort, you know, and an A grade. And Dylan, you know, he speaks really well. And he just goes, there's not many people like Dicko, you know, I would not be mean to him, but he's probably a C for talent, but he's an A star for effort. And it just shows that effort and work rate sometimes outweigh talent. And a lot of kids and people, they always think talent, 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 oh, he's the talentiest kid in the world. But if he's not mentally and physically and has that thing installed in, for me, I think it outweighs it. And, it, you know, see, hear someone of your peers talk to you about you like that. You know, I knew what I was. I knew the type of player I was. And yeah, I had some skills. I had some skills. But to have someone like that talk about it, there's a lot more to it. But that's always stuck in my mind throughout the whole time I played for England. Yeah, I mean, that's so, class. And it's like, I don't know why team, teams don't do more of that stuff, that peer-to-peer -peer stuff. That Like, often bad stuff has to happen. So I've been sacked twice, as you know. And some people have said the nicest stuff to me after the... After the like, why don't we just say it anyway? Why don't we just... Yeah. Say stuff that, well, obviously it's true. So I don't think people should tell lies, but people should be more open around what they're thinking and what they're feeling about, about people. Mate, um, I'm, 
I'm just mindful of, of sort of time. This is, we always finish with one word answers. Well, not always, but often. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. You've got to give the first word that comes into your head. Try not to swear. Um, yeah. So I'll start relatively easy. Um, Barney. Uh, school of my dreams. Not one word. Not one word. Well, go, go again. Start again. Start, start again. Okay, I'll start again. Barney. Start again. Made me. Um, obviously with a hyphen. Uh, family. Everything. Tidy. Legend. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something again. Bedford Blue. Class. If, if, where there. Class. Boring. <laughs> yeah. I can just remember you going, Fletch, Fletch. Tidy's just in the library all the time. <laughs> <laughs> As if it was a bad thing. Um, Bedford Blues. It's one word. I can't do one word, Fletch. You know what I'm like? I'll allow you to. Great time. Peps. So father figure. Coaching. Love it. Uh, referees. Mixed. Bear in mind your brother's a referee. Uh, <laughs> forwards. Donkeys. Peter Walton. Class. Uh, England rugby. Relief. Stuart Lancaster. Opportunity. And last one, Newcastle Falcons Academy. Home. Yeah, mate, cool. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I lost track of time. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> mate, I'm, 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 like, I'm like super proud of you. I'm, I think you've done amazing stuff. Uh, and the Thanks. stuff that re- is, makes me most proud is like how you hang with your kids. So like, well, when I see you with Bex and the kids, it's just like, wow, he's just turned into such a, such a top bloke who's clearly had some amazing experiences along the way. Mate, keep it going. Um, go, and, go and smash it at Barney and uh, we'll catch up soon.